You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. Well, it's great to be here with everyone. I can see why Clive told me to sit at the front now, because that was a long walk in silence from the back. (laughs) But it's great to be here again, and I know I'm meeting many of you for the first time, because, you know, as a visitor coming in, you know, maybe once a year, something like that, it looks like there's been a bit of an explosion, actually. A lot more people around, and it's just great to see what God is doing with the diversity and everything else that he's bringing to the church and to the town, which has got plenty of challenges, I'm sure. But it's just great to see what God is doing. And one of the things I do when I'm visiting churches is just to pray and ask God to give me a scripture passage that might actually have some relevance. And I'd like to share something with that from Acts chapter 11 with you. So I'm just going to read a few verses and then we're going to pick up a little bit on this theme of movements and monuments, which uh, has been introduced to us in the, in the quiz that you did earlier. Um, it was very, very impressive, you know, some of those, the way you just sort of knew them straight away. Cenotaph was a bit of a weird one for me. I used to have to stand there every year, eight years in a row, um, just being there with all of the sort of church dignitaries that walked out. And um, it's quite extraordinary, really. I never got to lay a reef, you see, so I did all of that just standing there each year. But uh, it's quite nice to have handed that responsibility over. Those of you who didn't, don't know, I was one of the presidents of Churches Together in England. Uh, I was what's called the Free Churches Moderator. And um, I did eight years in that role, and then I, I stood down, handed on to the next person, and my grandkids were so annoyed. They said, why did you give up when you did? Because my successor prayed at the Queen's funeral, did the blessing. <laughs> at the coronation and they said oh you should have stayed in post I said I didn't know when the queen was going to die that was my excuse (laughs) so anyway I'm going to read from Acts chapter 11 and it says this in verse 19 now those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Well, we can see that the church actually began as a movement. You get that sense of momentum. But there are many things over the years that have begun as a movement and have ended up as a bit of a monument. In fact, there's a saying around church life that so many things start with a man or a woman and then they become a movement and then it all sort of peters out and it's left as a monument. Now, God never intended the church to be like that. We've got a risen Jesus. So it's not a case of, you know, a a monument raised over a grave because there's an empty tomb. But more than that, not just that we've got a risen Jesus who's with us, We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. So whereas in some of these things which have begun, some of these movements that have started off, they peter out in the end because there's a lack of power. And what we've got to realize is that God is still giving his Holy Spirit to the church in exactly the same way as he did at the beginning. So we're still God's empowered people. So there shouldn't be a sort of turning from a a movement into a monument. There's a couple of things I wanted to say around this. Uh, First of all, what are the sort of marks of a movement, really, as opposed to a monument? Well, a monument doesn't go anywhere, does it? It doesn't change. It doesn't grow. 
Um, I remember when I was doing A-level biology, like mm, nearly half a century ago, um, <laughs> the, um, the, the signs of life that we distinguished were relatively few. I went on the website now for sort of A-level biology students, and they've added more signs of life, which I found were quite extraordinary. There were things like order, evolution, homeostasis. Well, we didn't learn about those things. It was basically, does it grow, does it reproduce, and does it respond to a stimulus? And that was about it, really. And if you could tick those three boxes, you could say, well, that's alive then. But, you know, somehow the church needs to work out what are the characteristics that demonstrate that we're alive. And I think in these few verses, you can see some of the things that mean that the church is alive. First of all, the church came under tremendous pressure when Stephen was killed. Saul, who had collected the coats of those that were throwing the stones, led a persecution against the church that was so rigorous that the Christians that had been gathering together in Jerusalem for about three years since the Holy Spirit came ended up being scattered everywhere. It had been like a three-year Bible school, really, with the apostles teaching them in Solomon's porch, and suddenly they're sent out everywhere. But, you know, even with the pressure of the persecution, it didn't take away their boldness. So the first thing I would like to say about a movement is there must be boldness. And that boldness must continue even under pressure. So these people, knowing the risks and knowing how Saul in the past had gone after people, were still prepared to go back into their, their Jewish communities that many of them had come from. Because you do realize that when Pentecost happened, when 3,000 people got saved, a lot of those people were not Jerusalem residents. Three times a year, there was an expectation on Jews and people who'd converted to Judaism to come to Jerusalem for a feast. It was the Passover feast, then the Pentecost feast, and then the Tabernacles feast. And so the Jerusalem population was really swollen. But when people came to know Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, many of them said, well, we're not going away until we've learned everything that we possibly can. So I can imagine them saying, look, apostles, you've been with Jesus for 12 years. Tell us what you've learned. Tell us what he said. Tell us how he understands the scriptures. And they taught and taught and taught. But you know, before Jesus had taken up to heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Isn't that incredible? There was meant to be a momentum, an outward spread. And yet when the persecution came, and you would have expected the church, if it had been a monument, to have collapsed under the weight of the persecution, because it was a movement, that was the moment when it started spreading. And we can see here that some of them who were on their way back to Cyprus, because that's where they'd originally come from three years earlier, stopped in the city of Antioch in Syria, and they started teaching. Initially to the Jews, because they were from a Jewish background themselves. And then they must have thought to themselves, but Jesus said, other sheep I have who are not of this fold. And so they started being a little bit more bold. And they, they moved into what I would say is the second stage of demonstrating that you're a movement rather than a monument. And that is that you're prepared to break through and break through barriers. So they had the boldness to keep going under pressure. But then they started breaking through barriers. There was a, a whole sort of tradition that the Jews don't really integrate with the Gentiles. And yet Jesus has said, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. So they'd got that 
as it were, drive. We've got to break through the barriers, get over our sort of hang-ups and actually start witnessing more widely. And so they did. And the church changed. It suddenly was a multicultural church, something that they'd never dreamt of, that they would come from something that was so insular and isolated and everyone the same to somehow where it was just so diverse. And I can imagine that was just such a tremendous moment to see those barriers being broken through. What a difference it makes when you're a movement and not a monument. But there was something else that was really clear here. I don't know whether you noticed it, but this is the way I read it to you, that it said that, that they were bold to speak when the pressure was there. They were also telling the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And then it said, the Lord's hand was with them. Now that is so important, isn't it? That's really what a Christian movement is about rather than a monument. That God's hand is with us and we can feel his guidance and we can see his power. And we begin to see things that we wouldn't predict because he's the God of the unexpected. And he suddenly does things that, well, you know, we say, well, that must be God. And all of those things add up to a movement. But there's something else I wanted to say. Because when you've got a movement, it can be contested. And my goodness, this one was contested. Some of the people in the Jerusalem church that had stayed behind were very uncomfortable about Gentiles actually being allowed into the church without becoming Jews first. They said, you've really got to come in by way of keeping all the Jewish law. Your men need to be circumcised. You need to have all of the traditions of Judaism with you. And Paul had spent time seeking God when he would first got saved. Because as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he'd be the first one to say, you've got to become Jews. But when he went away and sought God after his conversion on the Damascus Road, the Lord made it really clear to him that it wasn't a case of bringing the Gentiles under the law because there had been a promise at the time of the exile, way, way back, where the prophets, Prophet Jeremiah, Prophet Ezekiel, had said there will be a new covenant not just the old covenant that was there with Moses when the law was written on tablets of stone, but there'll be a new covenant when the laws will be written on human hearts, where God will take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And Paul realized that it wasn't a case of bringing the Gentiles into the old covenant, but introducing them into the new covenant. Not saying there's a list of laws that you've got to keep, but saying, God will write these laws on your heart. Someone put it really well when it said, under the Old Testament, there were commandments. But under the New Testament, every commandment becomes a promise. Let's just try it for a moment. The Old Covenant says, you shall not steal. But when that's written on your heart, it actually changes your behavior. And what was a commandment becomes a promise. You can look at someone who really knows Jesus and say, you shall not steal. <laughs> it's a promise. You've been changed. You will not commit adultery if you really know Jesus and these laws are written on your heart. So you've got this challenge. You've got these Gentiles that had come in knowing the law of God written on their hearts. But some of the Jews who also had the law written on their hearts as people who'd become believers in Jesus were still saying you've got to come in the old way. And just imagine the tension. That could have turned the movement into a monument. 
It had a great beginning, but it came to a full stop because people said that you can't do it this way, you can't do it that way. Just imagine what that would have been like. The church just be something that's written in the history books with no life in it ever since it was sort of kind of shut down under a Jewish embargo. But it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because people like Paul had not only seen the breakthrough that happened at Antioch, but wanted to make sure that that breakthrough had been secured. So guess what they did? <laughs> they actually went up to Jerusalem and met with the people and said, look, this isn't the way it's going to be. And incredibly, there was a turnaround. And instead of the Jewish church shutting down the Gentile church, there was this possibility of growth. And the church has been growing and growing ever since. And when they actually came to this point where they had secured the breakthrough and they reached the agreement, guess what they said? Go everywhere and tell people what we've decided. That it's not necessary to come under the Jewish law, but you can live this new life with Jesus, with freedom, wherever you are. And I just want to share with you, because you've seen a little bit of a growth explosion here. And I want to say, well done for the boldness that kept you going when there was pressure. Well done for the breakthrough that you brought. I'm just so glad you've got that Bulgarian congregation. That's a great heart, isn't it? Group of people in the town that have a different language. What do you do? Ignore them? No, you embrace them, just as they did at the beginning. It's a movement. The church is a movement, not a monument. And I'm excited about this. And actually, I've been a bit cheeky because I didn't ask your permission, but I've already begun telling people what God is doing in Wisbech. And it's just nice to come and see what God is doing. And this is the kind of thing that actually makes the difference between being a monument and a movement. God is up to something. God is up to something right here. God hasn't forgotten Wisbech. <laughs> God has no geographical problem. He can find anywhere on the map. One of the great revivals that took place in the middle of the last century. When I was a student, everyone used to go charging off to this place called South Chard in Somerset. The first time I went to see where all of this happened, I could hardly find the place. I thought, do you know, I can't find this place. How did God find this place? <laughs> but, but God never has any problem finding any place. And you know, you don't have to wait till the railway line comes back. God's already found this place. God's already at work. And I think we just need to hold on to this. Isn't it great to be part of a movement rather than part of a monument? Isn't it good to know that it isn't just a dead Jesus that is having a, something erected over his tombstone called the church, but there's a living body of people with a testimony. So praise God for being a movement. We saw some great monuments up there. And the monuments stir the memory, don't they? They bring back a bit of history. But actually, this is more about the future than the past, isn't it? It's more about, let's see what else God can do. Let's see how many other people God can reach. And let's just have that boldness to keep going. Be prepared for breakthroughs. Be prepared to secure the breakthroughs. But always looking for that fact that the hand of God is with us. Is that what you want to see? It's what I want to see. So why don't we just take a moment now just to pray with gratitude in our hearts for the way that God knows where we are. He knows what we're doing. He hasn't forgotten us. And in his heart, he always wants to do more.
So, Father God, we just want to thank you that we can say with confidence today that because of the Holy Spirit, we're part of a movement and not a monument. We thank you for the boldness that you give even when we're under pressure. You're not going to let the life be extinguished. We thank you for the breakthroughs that you allow us to make. We thank you, Lord, that they can be secured. And we thank you that the good news of what you're doing can be spread with confidence so that people can share our joy and we can be encouraged and strengthened in all you want to do with us. In Jesus' name, amen.